Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. Just wanted to say thanks again for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to subscribe. Give us five stars and a nice review. It really does help, and I need all the help I can get. Hey, Rick Kua was sitting on our couch the other day. Before I get into his intro, I want to give a big thank you to our sponsor, Cathead Vodka, based in Jackson, Mississippi. We love their vodka, and also we love their heart for live music and live musicians. Check them out at catheaddistillery.com and catheadvodka on Instagram. Well, Rick Kua, man, he is a man of many talents. He's a killer writer, awesome singer, bass player, and pastor. Yep, he went from playing in the clubs in Upper New York to playing with one of the biggest Southern rock bands, The Outlaws. He went on to make Christian albums, blues albums, and now he's one of the pastors at our church, Grace Chapel. Killer story, killer guy. Here we go, Rick Kua. Sweet. Rick Kua. Hello, man. Hi, Bart. Thank you for being here. So good to be with you out in God's beautiful country Uh, here. I know. I, I... my Amy is a photographer, and she always says, "You never like my pictures on Visit Franklin." And I go, "That's because I don't want anybody else to come out here." Right, it's keep like, it a secret, yeah. right? Or you can come, spend your money, then you got to get out of here. Yeah, that's it. But you having a good day? I hope I, I am having a good day. Grateful for every day. You know, yeah. I get up, and um, even the hard ones, um, I'm still. Um, Alive, living, and breathing, as they used to say at the state fairs, exactly. all on the inside. <laughs> exactly. A buddy of mine always says, well, I'm still on the right side of the dirt. And I go, I don't know. Yeah. Are, you, are you really? A buddy of mine says, uh, well, at least I'm not room temperature yet. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, just real quick, let me run this down for you. You were in the Outlaws for three years, from 80 to 83. Mm-hmm. And after that, you did 12 solo records, you had six number ones, you had nine top fives, you've been nominated for Dove Awards, you've won four Sammy Awards, and now you've had four albums with your new band, the Blues Cancel, and you're getting ready to put another one out. Or is yep. it out? Or is it out? It's, we're halfway through it. It'll be out this year. Okay. So how, how does that little shiny list make you feel? Yeah, I mean, I'm... Again, just grateful uh, as a musician, and you know, as a musician and a songwriter yourself, uh, to get to do what we do, whether it's on the big, big stage or just within whatever sphere of influence you have, it's a blessing. And honestly, Bart, for me, a lot of it is about whatever God has downloaded to me, yeah, I want to. I don't want to hide it. I want to make sure that I document that. And one of the ways we document it as musicians is we record it, yeah, and we make a record or we a CD these days, of course. Although vinyl's the fastest growing new new medium, I heard it's vinyl and digital downloads now. It's yeah, that's it. So you know, the vinyl companies are having a heyday. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the oddest thing. Uh, 45 years ago up in Syracuse, uh, one of the bands that um, I have a, a Sammy Award from, a band called Crack, it was before the drug. <laughs> it was C-R-A-C, Kua, Rosano, Arlada, and Chisholm. And this Dang. was a R&B band, just very popular up there. But again, we're talking 70s. It's a lot of vowels. And we got contacted from a, a, a British record company that specializes in vinyl re-releases. And as of, I think, yesterday, we just e-signed on Adobe right. a new contract to re-release that record that's 45 years old. Man. Go figure. We would have never guessed yeah. that in a million years. So does that agreement, is that a glo- that's a global thing that's then, global. right? Since yeah. it's just I digital? Mean, and I, I told, uh, yeah, we wanted it to be global. At this point, that record hasn't seen the light of day for so long. You can sell it on Mars. Do whatever you want to do with that thing. Uh, do Mars downloads count as more, do you think? Or? I would think that would be 
what would be count even more is if we knew who was listening up there. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Maybe Larry Norman knows. That's right. Well, just going back again, you're uh, from Syracuse, New York. Were you an only child? I'm one of five. One of five. Uh, myself and uh, another brother, Nick, Nick Kua, who is out with rockers for the last 35 years. I know him. You know Nick. If yep. you well, you mentioned Def Leppard, he totally toured with them that. for years. Yep. A lot of those heavy metal bands, bands, Motley Crue, Ozzy for twenty years, Pink yeah, for eight I years. Totally I mean, forgot about that. Yeah. So he's he's my brother. So there's he and I, and we have three sisters, five cool. of us all together. Your dad is a guitar teacher, mm-hmm. and so you picked up the ultimate rock and roll instrument, the accordion. Yeah, I, how about that? Come on, Lady of Spain, any young Italian kid up in New York, <laughs> you, had to, you had to learn that thing. So I played Lady of Spain, or I played the accordion just long enough to learn that song and said, I'm out on this little rig. <laughs> Although now I wish I did play it. Yeah, you could probably still get yeah. one. Might drive your wife nuts. Yes. Maybe. I still have that accordion at home i may Dang. pull it out and tell her that you suggested it <laughs> please do <laughs> well you went through piano guitar and uh, some other instruments eventually getting to the bass what was it about the bass that kept you now all this time well two things um i was in a band i think i was probably 13 years old it was kind of the first band and we were 13 year old kids playing beatles songs and nice. we were we named ourselves at thirteen, mind you, the legends. Nice. So we we had big ideas <laughs> yeah. even even back then. A little self confidence. So we were three guitars and a drummer, which was not unusual in those days. Hmm. And I wound up playing the bass parts on my Gold Sparkle Goya electric nice. guitar. And uh, finally, I got a Fender bass. It's the same one I play to this day. I've made all my records with that and other people's records. And um, it was funny, when I was right there deciding between guitar and bass, I was with mom and dad, and my father said, Rick, if you play bass, you'll never be out of work. But at the same, almost the same breath then, my mother chimes in, yeah, but you'll be no fun at parties. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was it. How You know... <laughs> I, I've tried to do it just me, you know, yeah. but it doesn't work. So that bass, I've seen you play it at church a bunch. I know you put a different pit guard on it and stuff. Did you ever refinish that, or is that just a... No, I I refinished it probably three times. Oh, wow. Three different frets. Uh, redo the frets. Uh, the, the wider pit guard is because I, my fingers wore a hole in the wood. I would say that hole had to be, you know... Eighth inch, quarter inch, Gosh. but it was deep enough from my the wear yeah. and tear that I had to make it me a bigger, bigger yeah. pick guard. That was all. All the mods on that instrument was done before seventy five. Really? Yeah. So I bought it new in seventy four. Okay. In sixty four, bought it new and went through all my crazy thing in and out of phase. Uh, two Demarzio extra P bass pickups in the Man. back, which are still on there. Right. And, then I stopped refinishing it, and it's just, I think the wood just keeps getting lighter because it's uh, very yeah. comfortable to play and enjoyable. It's beautiful. So you got into bands quickly, obviously, with the legends hitting the road there. Yeah. So then, what was your road to the Outlaws? Because I'm just trying to envision an Italian kid from Syracuse, New York, getting into this big-time southern rock band. Yeah, it was, that was an interesting uh, maneuver, I would say. <laughs> So, uh, matter of fact, down the road, after I was in the band, Clive Davis referred to me in an article as the carpetbagger of the <laughs> nice. band. You know? Thanks, Clive. Nice, yeah. <laughs> so, Bob Dates was a roadie for my band, Crack, this okay. band that I told you about a little bit ago. Uh, he was our, our roadie and kind of a, a stage manager, so to speak. And then years passed, several years passed, and he had gone on to work for the Outlaws. And he found out that Harvey was going to be, had left the band and they were looking for a bass player. And I can remember I was, you know, I was with uh, Crack doing a rehearsal in my buddy's basement, probably learning 
like a Gino Vanelli or a Chick Corea tune or something, and the phone rang, and it was this Bob Dates, this old friend, and he told me about the Outlaws needing a bass player, and would you ever be interested, and what do you think? And, you know, at first I thought, geez, Bob, I don't know, but I had had a couple of these close calls with other big bands, and I was at the point where... You know, I'm just I'm making a few bucks every week in the local band. I've got my family. I, I was pretty content. But I just gave it a thought, and I said, let me call you back. And so I thought about it a little bit. Um, at that point, I was a believer, so I prayed about it. And I called him back, and I said, you know what? If you can make something happen, that would be great. And apparently, Alan Blazik, Alan was a producer, uh, Mickey Thomas... I believe, and a couple other bands. He produced the record for the Outlaws. Okay. And he wound up producing a demo on us, our band once again, the Crack Band. Right. That band got so close to, to getting a, yeah. a proper deal. Number of, number of times. Yeah, but but what happened was um, I called Alan and just made a few other phone calls, and through a series of events, I wound up getting the audition. So um, I had to learn five songs, which means I had to go out and buy the records because I didn't know right. Outlaws from, from anybody. I was a New York East Coast rock guy who played fusion and jazz as well. And were so, they Outlaws in Florida? They were in Tampa, Tampa, Tampa Florida yeah, okay. band. And so I learned those songs, and um, man, I was uh, digging into them as if I wrote them myself. And they they were they were really fun to play you know yeah. they were it was just it was all eighth notes which you know we would joke about then because we were doing kind of other things than that but man i i played those songs over and over and over uh i was playing at a chinese restaurant called su lin's at that time so so su lin's uh was a a, a, a new york fella buddy pines was his name buddy was a stereotypical kind of New Yorker, but a great guy because he gave a lot of us musicians work at this place called Sue Lentz. And I flew out to do this audition on a Saturday night, Saturday morning, and I had to be back for the gig Saturday night. So I fly in. They're at this big ranch in, outside of Tampa. Um, they had rented this, which to me was a mansion. You know, I was yeah. in a, maybe a thousand square foot home on the north side of Syracuse. And they had all these stacks of amps to the ceiling. It was crazy. And I went in and I played the the five songs and it felt magical. To easy me. fit. It, it seemed like yeah. an easy fit. And um, I zoomed off to the airport, got back on the plane. By the time I got home, I'm going to be late for the gig, but I got to drive by the house and check my answering machine yes, to yes. see. And I had 14 messages. The seventh message, oddly <laughs> enough, was, hey, Rick, welcome to the Outlaws. You got the gig. This is a Saturday night. He goes, you need to be in Tampa Monday for rehearsals. Oh, so now I walk into the club where we play. It was a pretty popular band, Crack Up, once again. <laughs> and we, I walked into the club. The, the place is packed. And Buddy, this great little um, little Jewish fella, you know, that I love to death, he came up to me. He goes, Ricky, Ricky, he goes, you're late. Get up to the people. You got you to gotta get up there. And I looked at Buddy Pines. I said, Buddy, I, I'm on the way. I'm going right to the bandstand, but I can promise you one thing. <laughs> It'll never happen again, <laughs> yeah. you know. With no so, further explanation. Right, so we had a big celebration, and that's how I got in the Outlaws. Man, so you and Diana were married then, correct? Yeah, we got married in 70. I joined the Outlaws in 80. Okay, yep. so did this mean you were moving to Tampa, or could you do no, your gig out of Syracuse? I could go. Uh, we had Freddie Salem lived in Akron, Ohio. Okay. Um, most of the other guys were from Florida, but I could live wherever I wanted yeah. to live, which to me was, I mean, I didn't want to live Sy- leave Syracuse. No. You know, my, my parents were there. Diana's parents yeah, were yeah, there. Absolutely. And it was the best gig because we would just all fly in for a tour. Right. The bus would meet us wherever we flew into. The first gig? Yeah, first gig. Yeah. And we'd go do our three weeks or whatever. And they would take us all to the airport and we'd all fly to our, our homes where the, yeah. you know, most of the guys to Florida and Freddie to... Akron and me up to Syracuse. Well, them being from Tampa, you must have done tons of tours with, I mean, that 
that area had Skinner, Molly Hatchet, 38 Special. All those guys were from yep. that Pat area. Travis. Travis, yep. Oh, was Pat Travis from down there? He's from Florida. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Well, she must know. I think somebody will correct us. They'll be yes. emailing yes. you. Oh, yeah, yeah. For sure. Remember, but. it's uh, I don't give a crap.com. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but so you must have had some pretty awesome tours and some pretty great shows. We toured with all, all those yeah. guys. And I missed the Skinner tour because um, that was the crash, I believe. Was it 77, 78, around there? <sighs> I remember it was. I was supposed to see them on October 24th because that's the day after my birthday. Wow. I can't, I think 77. I think that's yeah. right. Yeah. So they, they had toured, done a big tour. That's what really started, I believe, to launch them. Yeah. And then um, everybody else we toured with, you know, we did the roundup at uh, the old JFK Stadium, 100,000 people. Oh, man. It was like, it was Marshall Tucker, it was us, it was, um, oh, God, there was five bands. And if, unless I look at, at the uh, the breadboard that I got as a little souvenir with all the names of the bands, I I'm not remembering everybody now, but we did a lot of tours with them. ZZ Top, 38 oh, yeah. Special went went. Um, uh, Molly Hatchet went to Europe to Europe with Molly Hatchet. Okay, funny story there. Uh, we we got time for a funny oh story? yeah. So um, what was his name? Bob, uh, Bobby Joe Brown, Billy Joe Brown, Danny. Danny Joe Brown, my gosh. Singer. I know you don't edit these things, so guys, don't hate me. No, I'm, well, I'm, I'm getting older. Danny would be editing from heaven. So. Danny Joe Brown. Yes. So we went to Europe. I had the worst, being a bass player, guitar players, my neck was the worst neck. I mean, right. we're talking pinch nerve. They wanted to operate. I said, I don't want no operation, but I'm, I'm walking around like a, like Frankenstein, a stiff guy, <laughs> right? So we're in, a, we're in France. And, you know, the guys would, you know, they, they were, they had sown a lot of their wild oats before I got in the band. But this was one of those nights where they were all enjoying themselves. In France. In, in France. So, yeah. like, I'm in my room. I got, the, I got the door locked, bolted, light out. And all of a sudden, I, they're, they're rolling around wrestling in the halls, just wrestling with each other. The outlaws, <laughs> the, the, you know, Molly Hatchet. And all of a sudden, I think it was Danny Joe, I hear his, all of a sudden it got quiet out there. And I'm not making a peep because I'm not leaving this room. Right. I got a neck that, you know, it's, it's held together with dental floss at that point, <laughs> And I'm not going to start wrestling. And all of a sudden, he, I hear him say, Huey, where's that, where's that Yankee bass player of yours? Let's get him out here. <laughs> so that was a, yeah, I didn't move, but I right. thought... Dodged another one, but anyway, <sighs> love those guys. The greatest people, most wonderful, fun-loving people. Every band, everybody we yeah. played with. That was the, the days when you just showed up, threw up the drums and amps, and said, count off the first song. Yeah, let's go. And it was so, that's what I always loved. It was so music and performance dependent instead of laser beams and holograms. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you could see four bands in an evening and the set time or the time between each set was never more than 15 minutes. No, they everybody just jumped up there, made yeah. a few little tweaks, adjusted the cymbals and the, the, the <laughs> drum stool, and that was about it. Uh, I remember reading uh, Dave Lubeck said one time, the way that Molly Hatchet tours is they have a giant road case and they fill it full of Jack Daniels. And they go out and play until it's gone, and then they go home. <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's funny. Well, so knowing you were doing this kind of, like, had Crack done touring, touring, weeks no, at a time? No, no. I mean, we did, um, we played kind of this circuit in New York. Syracuse okay. is in the center of the state, so we'd go the throughway, you know, New York City to Buffalo, and then Route 81 from Binghamton up to Watertown, and everything in between. And there was a time where we did a, started doing more in, we'd go to Florida now and then because everybody in New York went to Florida for vacations. Right. So we played down there, but we played in New England and there was an organization. It was a college organization. It was an acronym. I can't think of the name of it, but it was, there was a convention that musician that we did where all the college Bookers came. Oh, all the kids. I know what you're talking NA about. Na something national yeah. something. About, and they did comedians and music. And, they did everything, yeah. and then what they do is they would block book you. 
So we got block booked with our band Crack at, okay. at a bunch of these New England colleges. So that was a big deal to us. Yeah. You know, but we still wound up um in between shows. I remember one time we were up in Vermont and we went to the University of Vermont and and we just walked in there and said, "Hey, we'll do a show for you if you feed us and give us a place to sleep." <laughs> so that that was it. One day you had a legitimate gig, the next day you're kind yeah. of panhandling, hoping you sell some t-shirts. Yeah, sure. But it was fun. A lot of fun. So what makes you quit a band that's as good and just slamming as the Outlaws were? You know, when I was, uh, I joined the Outlaws in 80. So I was there for about three and a half years. And um, a very short time after I was in the Outlaws, I signed my first solo record deal. It was a Christian record deal. Because you put your first record out while you were still in the Outlaws, right? Yeah, the, the first, first and, Christian. and second. The first and second? It could have been the first and the second. I think your first, your Christian records came out 82, 83 were your first two. So yes, you and, still and I left in, I think I left in July of 83, okay. left the Outlaws. So what happened was, listen, the Outlaws, huge band. You yeah. Know, stadiums, Absolutely. all of that. First class air limos, all of that business. So it was a big band. Yeah, I've got a Christian record with ten people coming out to see the show, right. and five of them were picketing the show because it was rock and roll, <laughs> right? So, but God was working, really working on me at that time. And what happened was is that where wherever we played, when my record came out, the first single was number one. And then I had a number one on the next record as well. And what happened was these um, uh, magazine people from Christendom mm-hmm. came out to the shows and they wanted to interview me. They, you know, There's people that came to interview the outlaws and then I had this little posse of people okay. that wanted to interview me. And I, oh, it felt, the guys didn't care, they were great, but it yeah. felt awkward to me because I thought, man, I'm on the outlaws nickel. Right. And I got people coming all excited about my Christian record. And it got to the point where, for me, God started stirring this idea of maybe it's time for me, if I've got 90 minutes with an audience, I want to be able to not only entertain them, but I want to leave them with a message of hope, hmm. the message that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, And that's where my heart was. So at one point... Uh, that's why I left the band. And the guys, we were all such, we're family, great yeah. friends. And they had a great respect for me and what I was doing as much as I had a great respect for them and their years doing uh, doing the music that they did. So I left the band and missed a number of mortgage payments, I'm sure, but <laughs> knew it was the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. So why did you, was your first Christian record out of nashville is that kind of what got you down to nashville and yeah well i made i i what happened was is we were on the road with uh black sabbath at that time and so now we're going to be let, let me back up a little bit so joe english who, oh yeah joe was a dear friend of mine he had a band up in uh from rochester new york and they played syracuse all the time crack and another band i had dove and jam factory would play together all the time. The, the days were be two bands. You know, one does the first hour, the other one does the second hour. And of course, before the before the show, you always fought about who was going to close. But yeah. anyway, so <laughs> Joe was in Jam Factory, and he was just amazing, funky drummer. And he'd come in clubs and sit in with our band just when he was out and about. And um, so time passed, and I hadn't seen Joe in a while. When all of a sudden he he sends me a record of his, and it was apparently he had gotten saved, become a Christian. Yeah, I was a Christian. We didn't know, and we I found out via this record that he just made, and he sent it, and it was, man, it was unbelievable. I loved it, and it was the first time I, other than, oh, I'm I'm digressing here, but other than the time my wife brought a Phil Keggy record home for, oh, me man. To, for me to listen to. Joe's record was the only thing I ever heard that sounded like the music that I loved. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, 
what I would call church music, and that's sure. not to be disrespectful. Not at all. Because the church music is awesome. Yep. Organ, choirs, whatever. It's all it about all God its and it's, place it's its own craft. You Absolutely. Know? So I listened to that record of Joe's and flipped out, and so I wrote him a letter because everything was done by post that back mm-hmm. then. And I said, Joe, thank you. I love this record. I love the playing. It's awesome. And I said, you know, thank God we're both with the Lord now, and who knows, maybe someday I'll get to do musically what you're doing. Hmm. And I'm still in the Outlaws yeah. I'm writing him this letter. And he, he obviously he went on to be be with Paul McCartney as yeah. well. But uh, he wrote me back, and he hooked me up with his manager, a guy by the name of Ray Ninao, who had Refuge Records. That okay. was a, a, that was a label that was kind of a refuge for people that have uh, of faith that have just been doing a lot of secular touring. This is a place where you can come and sing about your faith. And um, Bonnie um, Bonnie Bramlett was on that label. Oh man. And Will McFarlane was on that label, who is in my, he's played with me back then. He's in Blues Council as well. That's what I was thinking. But anyway, I'm, uh, I met Ray. Ray came to a show. It was a Black Sabbath Outlaws show at the big arena in Nashville. That seems like a perfect match. Listen, it was, <laughs> Sabbath and, and the they, they were there, and we had part of a discussion backstage between bands and just dodging a few, you know, flying bottles and broken glass but you know they thought it was very entertaining and then we went over to the best western on the one on uh like the mumbrian area oh yeah there was a name for it the the, uh, hall of fame or something oh yeah okay yeah yeah that that hotel and after a three and a half hour meeting i had a record deal done we had figured it out figured out the money and i said this is now in probably um, January. And I said, Ray, I said, this is great. Well, just send me the paper. I'll have a lawyer look at it. But all everything looks good. It's all agreed to. I said, um, you know, I played him some music that he really liked. Mm-hmm. But I only probably had two songs written of original music. Yeah. And I said, okay, so it's January. When you want to do the record? You want to do it in the summer? He says, no, no. He says, Let, let's start it in March. <laughs> And I'm thinking, I'm kind of busy. Man, I got to go write eight more great songs, you know. And so that was it. That was the beginning of that. And um, Did you write all that by yourself? I wrote some on my own. I co-wrote some with a friend of mine, Bob Halligan Jr. Oh, yeah. And we had some other, some other writers that um, uh, were in that world that I was introduced to. So there was a bunch of co-writes as well. Man. But it was it was a great and the first single that 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 went number one was it's called you can still rock and roll because that was the message man it's yeah. this is all all Jesus but rock and roll is a form of music there's a lifestyle sure that we weren't li- we weren't living because we just wanted to live a little more of a yeah. God style a little holes more wholesome. Well, it was like when Larry Norman came out with Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music. Exactly right. It's like I remember watching my mom and dad because you could tell they were, because they were big jazz people, especially dad, but we had a youth pastor who started get, turning us on to Larry Norman and it was like, I could, you know, dad would get the albums and listen, look, look, read the lyrics. It's like, well, that's it. Here you go. Well, that was the key, wasn't it? Yeah. If the lyrics were good, you're good. You're good to go. You're good. Yeah. Unfortunately, all the people with the picket signs didn't know that. <laughs> I don't think they ever listened to the music. No, I don't think they did either. I think they looked at your hair and whatever and just decided. Well, that, they made a judgment, you yeah. know. And I was always, by God's grace, man, believe me, because I'm, I'm not a battler, but I would always say, I'm going to win these people with kindness. Yep. I'm never going to get ugly with them. One One show we did in Texas once, I had a... I had a. It was in the day where you could wear like two two sweatshirts, one over the other. One would be ripped up, you know. It was that, and so uh, the two colored sweatshirts I had was one was black, one was red. So um, these two women, literally, they were dressed all in white, very angelic looking, mm-hmm. all in white, and they came up to me and pulled me aside, and they said, um, "Brother, you have a minute." I said, sure, sure, what's going on? Well, 
we weren't sure if you knew it or not, but, you know, you're doing a Christian concert, but you got the devil's colors on, mm. you know, black and red. Yeah. I said, okay, really? All right. And so I began to explain to them. I'm not sure I got through to them totally, but why this, that God owned all the colors, right. you know. Yeah. Anyway. Uh. Oh, there's plenty of those stories. So after recording a bunch of albums, you kind of put playing on the shelf, and you went to EMI Christian Publishing mm-hmm. as a VP of their creative department. Mm-hmm. What I mean, obviously, you had a lot to bring. What interested you about doing that? Yeah. So, as a musician, obviously, there was, and any musician that's listening to this knows just what I'm talking about. There were decades where I missed a lot of life with my family. Yeah. I missed special events. My wife still has a picture of our daughter, Nikki, our oldest, in her first prom dress on the phone with me, mm. and I'm in some other town. Yeah. I'm praying with with her on the phone, and then when we did the prayer before the show, I says, guys, let's, let's, this is Nikki's first prom. You know, I thought I was doing a good thing, which it was a good it thing. It was a good thing. But, but yeah. I just got tired of um, missing all this stuff. Yeah. So if I was away for the first half of my life, I want to be around for the next half. And maybe I didn't... Um, Fortunately, I have a great relationship with, with our daughters, but maybe I'd even be around a little more for yeah. our grandkids, you know? Yeah. And so that was, that's what's, what that was about. So would I assume the artists that were on EMI Christian looked at you and thought, yes, we have somebody that knows the other side of the record business so how I mean I I assume they sat at your feet and asked you a million questions. Well, I don't not I don't know if it was exactly my feet, <laughs> but the thing is I was one of them. Yeah. Um, they had an ally. Yes, they had an ally. I was and I was a little <clears throat> bit I had my my foot in both worlds. I was trying to be kind of one of them, meaning uh, my buddies at EMI, the executive crew and the music business people yeah. and also realizing that but the musicians are are my tribe you know so i kind of had two tribes going yeah. on but it gave me a lot of um favor i think with the musicians because they did know what i was going through and if i told them um guys listen i know you want to keep all your publishing but i'm telling you right now you you want a big publishing machine to partner with you because they're going to be able to do something with these songs that you're not going to be able to do and they they believed it because number one it was the truth but they trusted me yeah that you know i'm a musician and and i've been through all of that scenario hey man half of something's better than a hundred percent of nothing absolutely and and back back in those days or any i mean you got to be smart if I could have done anything over again, Bart, I think that I would have negotiated or had the sense to negotiate uh, a co-publishing deal a yeah. lot sooner than I did. Because um, as far as that, administration, other things that are important, I didn't have a clue. Yeah. I was just thrilled. Oh, my gosh, the brass ring. I got a record deal. Right. I would have done about anything. You know, because I thought this is it. I don't care whatever I got to do. You know, but, I think uh, that's about half of the kind of ministry that you and me have is just answering those kind of questions, right? Right. That people just don't know because they're from Syracuse, New York, or they're mm-hmm. from Holdridge, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. No one's ever had a record deal in Holdridge, Nebraska, yeah. or even a publishing deal, right? Yeah, that's that's yeah. a good thing. And, and you need you need the balance of. And you need an attorney. I mean, you can't. Absolutely. It's good if you want to read, read these contracts, learn about them. You need an experienced attorney, and you have to find the balance of working together with whoever you're going to go in business yeah. with. And sometimes you have the extreme. You have the guys that will just give it away because they don't care, or they're not thinking about retirement or selling the catalog or so supporting their family in a, in a better lifestyle, they're not thinking about that. And then you got the guys that are um, 
they're just you know they they they're either going to give it all away or they're going to be so hard headed that they're just not going to do anything and nothing happens. Yeah, nothing could be the best song in the world if the publisher doesn't have a piece of it, unless it's that weird organic thing. Yeah, you know, it's nothing's going to happen. Well, that that weird organic thing might be. A little more realistic now with the internet being so prevalent that, right. that you may not need a publisher as much, but you better sign a good admin deal too mm-hmm. if you're going to go that route. Yeah, or you're still not going to see a dime. Yep. And who <laughs> wants to have to figure that whole thing out? <laughs> Man, I look at my statement sometimes, and from BMI, and it's just it's ridiculous. I know. I can't imagine sitting and trying to think you're going to understand a. 35-page publishing contract. Right. And then all the sub-publishing deals and and all the different societies around the world and everything, especially if you had a song that was going to blow up to that magnitude, you know. Now, when we were, Amy and I were talking about this podcast, she's going like, oh, that'd be great, you know. You guys can each have a guitar and you can sing a song that you wrote. And then she has such a publishing background. She goes, well, let's see. You and Rick write one song. You both have co-pubs. So now you need licenses from both of your publishing companies and both of the other publishing companies, all for maybe a 30-second song, just mm. to make sure you cover your ear in. Yeah. She said, I wouldn't play music if I were you. No, <laughs> she's like, right. I mean, a good it's, idea. Too, it's like, like uh, this very well-known manager used to say for things like that, you know, too much work. Yeah, <laughs> too much work. <laughs> well, so you and your wife are both on staff at Grace Chapel. Yep. So, and and I, I believe you're also involved in Kingdom Bound Ministries in Buffalo. Yes. Yep. So, what do both of those ministries? Well, uh, the church, the church, uh, Grace Chapel, love being there. It's uh, we're both definitely called to that. Diana is a biblical counselor. Uh, I am pastoral care pastor so i'll do pastoral counseling and um, a load of other things related to pastoral care of the body of people yeah. you know so we love being there it's a great foundational thing for us uh, also um they they have a great deal of um how do i say respect and love and concern from everybody that works there and uh in my particular case because music is something that's a part of who I am, they're happy about that. Yeah. They're happy that I write songs. They're happy that I do these, uh, what we would call ministry gigs, where I'm going out and playing with the band uh, six, seven, eight times a year or whatever. Yeah. And so there's, um, you know, we take care of business at the church. Like anybody with a day gig, you you honor that and you do do your very best. But also there's a lot more to life than just that 40, 50, 60 hour work week, whatever it may be. Yeah. It's fun for me. I know I always love being in the congregation and looking up and not that you're validating the music, but it's like, it's like, (laughs) oh, I know that guy. Oh, that's fun. I always like that, but yeah, that's cool, man. Well, do you have time to do my 10 questions? Yeah. It's just kind of a quick little yeah. what, whatever pops into your head here. Yep. What's your favorite book? Becoming a Person of Influence by John Maxwell. Dang. Yeah. Great book. There's a quote in that book that makes it my favorite. Oh, I was going to just going to say, what's your favorite quote? The so. quote is, uh, the level of influence. Now, Bart, you know, everybody wants influence for one reason or another. You want influence with your kids to tell them the right way to go. You want influence for the gospel to be able to, you know, in a very um, organic way, let people know the ways of the Lord, you know. So the quote is, the amount of influence that you'll have on someone is directly related to how good they feel about themselves when they're in your company. Hmm. Meaning, if every time you and I are together, Bart, um, I make you feel a good, I love your music, love which I, I am encouraging you and building yeah. you up to the point where you, you would say, man, I just, I love being around that guy. 
And then if I've got something either hard or instructional mm. or important to say, you're going to be all ears. But if you're a friend of mine and every time we see each other, I got something critical to say. Yeah. Well, man, I heard that podcast and <laughs> gee whiz, why did you say this? Or why did you say that? And you know, that sh- shirt doesn't match your socks. And You sound you know, fat on that podcast. I really? Know how yeah, do you do that? Exactly. So if that's all you got from me, yeah. I could give you the best piece of advice in the world. It wouldn't mean a lick. It's going to breed trust. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. That's awesome. Well, what is your favorite food? Well, people would say to me, um, <laughs> do you eat Italian often? Because, right. you know, I'm second-generation Italian-American. Diana's first-generation. Oh, wow. And I just say, we don't call it Italian food. We're just Italian. So that's how we eat all the time. We just call it, it food. It's not spaghetti and meatballs every day. Right. As a matter of fact, when we used to have to go get a loaf of bread at the store, we would qualify it and say, I'd be told, go get a pick up a loaf of a American bread. Right. It was American bread. It was like white bread. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So that's it. So I think Italian food, if, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> whatever that might be. That's kind of what I feel. It doesn't have to be sauce, but it's it's just. But if it's made it's, by your it's, hands. It's made that way. Yeah. But if you make it a PB&J's a Italian sandwich. Wow. That would be a, maybe I can figure out a way to do that. <laughs> A new way. That's right. We'll get Kruger in on it, make a million bucks. Yeah, that's right. What's the first concert you saw, and how old were you? It was the Rolling Stones in Syracuse, New York, probably 1960. Dang. I don't know. Five or six. They were at the Syracuse War Memorial, and Mick Jagger was prancing on stage. I was in rock and roll heaven. I was out of my mind looking at it saying, oh, man, I want to do that. Until he grabbed the American flag Uh and he ran across the stage waving it. And then on the way back, it was, he just, he didn't, I don't think he did it disrespectfully, but that, he just dragged that American flag back. Not even maybe knowing what he was doing. Man, the Syracuse, those cops were on that stage shut that thing down and took him to jail. Hmm. And then you went and did it anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, not that part. But. Not that part. So how old do you think you are? Oh, I was born in 48, so... Uh, 25, 24? No, 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 20. No, no. In the city, I was probably 16, 17. 15, yeah, yeah, maybe, right. maybe even 15, you know. So you started off small with the stones. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at that Time, I think the ticket cost me $2 or something. Man. So. Okay, you're a singer, a player, writer, producer. What's your, what's your favorite thing to do? Of what? all? Yeah, of those things. I think the favorite thing, um, I'll tell you something else I do enjoy, too, is writing. I wrote for a magazine for a number of oh, years. okay. And I have a new book called What Are You Known For? that I'm hoping will be out this year. Okay. So I love to write as well. But my favorite thing of all, I I love playing the bass. Really? I love it. I I feel the most at home when my hands are on that fretboard and I'm laying it down with the drummer and and finding a few little interesting sweet spots now and then to fit things into. Now, do you play better if it's a song you wrote or does that even matter no it doesn't matter doesn't matter no not a bit matter of fact some of the um although i do love the stuff i write um but some of my very favorite stuff is i sure i love to play but i i maybe i'm not um bent that way as a a writer but oh i love to play it i was writing with uh bob depiro one morning and after about 30 minutes, he goes, what's your problem? And I go, dude, every song I hear on the radio, I have one of two reactions. It's, holy cow, I wish I wrote that. Why can't I write something like that? Or I say, holy cow, I've got 10 songs just like that, and every one of them is better than that. And I said, I just don't know how to re- react to that. And he just looked at me and he goes, 
how about you write another song? <laughs> there you go. It's like, oh, yeah. I guess that's... Good. The what? last time I said, um, oh, I wish I wrote that, was waking up from a dream. So in my dream, Amy Grant and Vince Gill were singing this song, this chorus, that was over the top. It was really good. Mm-hmm. I wake up and I'm thinking... I remember the lyric, I remember the melody, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I wish I wrote that. <laughs> All of a sudden, it was like, wait a minute, I did write that. That's my dream. That's my song, you know. So have they, did they cut it? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> what, what's the favorite song you have written? Is that it? Is it that oh, song? Oh, no. I mean, whether it's been cut or not, just your favorite song. Man, I got, there's, oh, my goodness, um, in I think in my um, Christian music career or ministry, there's probably a hundred plus, and several of them were pretty stellar. It's a, probably a toss-up between "I Can, I Will" and "Wear Your Colors." Mm-hmm. Yeah, two just yeah anthems were big. Oh yeah, you know, anthems were big. I'm not much of a uh, and again, I appreciate all styles. Yeah, but I'm not really an emo. I'm broken kind of guy. Yeah, even though we're all broken. Yeah, even though I, my emotions, I wear it on my sleeve. But I am an anthem. I am Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ <laughs> who strengthens me. Give me a guitar and a mic and and some and some loudspeakers and I want to shout it out. Yeah. Because I want people to adopt that and take it, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, I can, I will, I stand. Mm. I do believe that I can, I will use the power. I can, I will, I am the warrior, and I'll fight for you, God. Yeah. Jesus, I can, I will. I want to shout those anthems out. That's killer. That's great. What song uh, have you heard that you wish you would have written? And again, it could be Amazing Grace, or it can be oh, wow. anything. There's many. I know, it's a hard one, isn't it? I should probably cross um, that one off the list. When I listen to, I mean, when I tell you, I can listen to the New Radicals, You Give What You Get. Yeah. You know, I mean, that band blows my mind, that, those young kids. I can still listen to Gaucho mm, and hear Steely the Dan. emotion in that lyric. Yeah. Uh, and so many other st- great Steely Dan songs. Oh, um, some of the wonderful songs of the 70s uh what you won't do for love um even a, a, a g- great song uh bet, bet you by golly wow by norman connors and uh with i forget the singer now I'm, I'm, again i'm um my rolodex is spinning <laughs> spinning but so many songs not a single favorite but many yeah. when i get on an airplane i'll put my in ears in and I'll get my little whatever I brought with me, and I will just listen to my favorite music. You know, September, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Man, I can remember standing on the edge of a uh, the dance floor at a wedding. I had just uh, was recovering from a surgery I had, and I went to my our niece's wedding, and I stood uh, and I'm standing at the table, and ten piece horn band. And here's the the bride and the groom and celebration. And all of a sudden they start playing September and people flood to that dance floor. And I just weep. Yeah. I am overcome with emotion saying, Lord, what is better than this moment? (laughs) Thank you for this. Music does something that nothing else does. Oh man. Nothing else. It's a delivery vehicle for um, a lyric that'll just, twist your heart around a little bit yeah so did you get up and play verdine's part on that no let me uh, see that bass i actually son. just cried and sat back down that's <laughs> 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 hey, pretty honest oh my gosh so how do you want to be remembered 
Not that you're in any hurry to be remembered. Yeah. I want to be remembered as an encourager. Somebody that um, cared about people enough to make them feel special yeah. about who they, who, they, who they are, who they were, you know. That's good, man. Yeah. That's good. Well, what's next for you? Well, uh, working on that book. Right. Also, um, Got the, the album uh, coming. Blues Council. Yeah. My band Blues Council. That's a, we're working on our fifth record. That, to me, that's, that's kind of a best-kept secret right there. Because yeah. the band has got it's three guitars, bass, Dude, drums, perk. Looking at everybody's resume, they're just, just they're so good, and we have such a ball. And so it's, it's all original. We've maybe done a couple of covers. I think on the new record we got a cover from Andre Crouch, and on the other one other record we did the Soul of a Man, old blues. Cover. Oh yeah. So maybe out of you know sixty songs. Maybe two or three were covers. Everything else is original music. You know, we um, just love it. It's a brotherhood of people, and it's us, again, having fun and doing what we do, not because we're going to, you know, we're all old guys, you know? I mean, I'm, I th- I'm the oldest in the band, but I mean, everybody, I mean, really, the youngest guys in the band are, you know, 50. Yeah. So, um, but we get up there, and we just, we... Uh, Raise the roof a little bit. So you ready to like rent a van and go do like 300 shows? This no, next <laughs> that would be no. The last van I had uh, back in those days was got stuck in the drive-thru uh, tree in the Pacific Northwest. And I put a dent so big in the roof that I heard about it big time when I got home. <laughs> no more vans. Uh, we got rickkua.com. Your guys, uh, Blues Council's on Facebook. Mm-hmm. You're on Facebook. Mm-hmm. You're on gracechapel.org or net? Net. Net. Yep. So I think we've said it all, man. Man. Well, what a joy being with Thank you so much. You. I appreciate you, my friend. You too, man. And you are an encourager. Well, I hope so. so all right. Love so. you, buddy. Thank all you. All right. Love you. Love you.